Lord, thank you for these men that continue to get up early and discipline themselves for the purpose of godliness. Uh, thank you for just the way that you've given uh, a strength. I'm humbled to see guys who must have been up earlier who don't have the physical strength that we have right now who are in wheelchairs, who are up and ready and are here. And uh, many of us discipline our bodies uh, physically, and our bodies are all dying. And so I thank you that you have given us the wisdom to discipline our hearts that are growing, our souls that are eternal, and to build into that, that which you have told us is life indeed. And so I pray you use this morning to encourage us toward things that are not fleeting and um, friendships that will spur us on to stay focused on the things above, not on the things that are on this earth. We thank you, Lord, that you care so much about us, that you... uh, have pierced our hearts with grace, and we are humbled and certainly not aware enough that having pierced our hearts with grace, you want to grow us to be individuals that participate with your spirit to grab others and let them know that there's a Father who cares for them the way you have shown yourself that you care for us. So can we get to know you better this morning? And as a result of our time in your word and our time around your servant Job, use us in enduring ways the way you've used this man who suffered for you. Now, we suffer in small ways comparatively by disciplining ourselves so that others could know you more, the way Job suffered a lot, so we could know you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, this is a humbling book uh, for many, many reasons. And one of the things that I thought about as I was reading this week again is just look at what Job went through. In the sense of not just the physical pain. And by the way, as we move into the the season of the cross, where we focus on the passion of God, we call it the passion because of what he went through. Uh, I don't believe the physical suffering of Jesus was his greatest suffering. Clearly, there was physical suffering involved in the cross. But I don't think the physical suffering is what was really impressive. As a guy, when you are criticized, especially when you're criticized by peons who don't know what you know about a certain event or a certain circumstance. It is really hard to not want to just state the case in order before their eyes and let them know that they don't quite have all the information. Uh, guys that have been around men that have been in the White House uh, consistently say that, that a lot of guys go in there pretty cocksure of everything they're going to do, and they say, and then you sit behind that desk and you know what the guys before you know. And it changes the way, no matter how radical you are, it changes the way you think. Um, when, When you are in a position to have information and others, or to have even a heart that is pure, and others misjudge that heart, it's one of the most painful things out there. And especially when there's some compelling reason to not explain yourself to everybody and make sure everybody knows what you know. Well, I really believe the greatest suffering of God was the suffering of letting people look at him when he was here on this earth and to mock him and to say he wasn't a prophet, much less a God, to uh, believe that he was a loon and not a Lord, to believe that he couldn't save himself from the cross because he wanted to save them, not because he was incapable, and how incredibly difficult that is. Job was frustrated with his friends, not because they didn't say things about God that weren't true at times, but they didn't say everything about God that was true, and because they didn't know everything about God that was true, they were certain that they knew things about Job that were true. 
Now, in this little section we read this week, one of the things that Job says is, hey, can one of you tell me one thing other than just what you presume must be the case? Which is a pretty remarkable statement. And really all they could appeal back to is that he has said that he's blameless. And God gives us the favor of at the very beginning of this book, reminding us that, in fact, Job is not suffering because of anything that he has done. And, in fact, God was so confident in him that he knew that no matter what happened to Job, that he would be faithful. Now, um, one of the things that humbled me as I read this book this week is to think about what Job went through. And, and for the length of time he went through it, and to know that one of the reasons he went through it was to encourage me. And, and it made me think, obviously, Jesus, in a much, much different level, went through what he went through to save and to serve me. The reason that God allowed Job to go through this his servant, is because he wanted me, a future servant, to know something about his character and nature that I otherwise would never, ever know. And then it made me think of stuff that Paul has said and stuff that that I need to experience. And it is true that God allows his sons, his servants, to endure things because he cares about others. And in fact, Paul says the amount of suffering that he went through is a glory to those that don't know God. It shows how much God loves those that are far from Him. When He lets people who are near to Him suffer greatly so those far from Him might understand more about Him. And one of the things that God calls us to do is to be servants. And the other thing God calls us to do, in fact, there's only two times that we are told in the Scriptures to specifically imitate Jesus Christ. The first one is to be a servant. It's in John 13. Jesus says, I did this as an example for you. And the second one is in 1 Peter chapter 2. Turn there with me. In God, uh, the the John 13, just for sake of time, I'm not going to turn there. But in John 13, it's when Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples. And they go, what are you doing, man? You're a king. Why are you washing our feet? That is the job of the lowliest servant in servanthood. It is the end of the food chain of servants when you start washing people's feet in a culture that walks around in sandals. That's arid. And yet that's what Jesus did. So when you get to 1 Peter, you find the second place. Now we know that everything that Christ did is an example to us and that we are to conform ourselves to his image. But there's two places specifically where the words are used, I did this as an example for you, or this was done as an example for you. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Now, this is one of the places that Jesus was distinct from Job. Because let's just read this next little verse, and we'll see if Job did it. You ready? Who committed no sin, as far as we know, Job's okay there, right? And then it says, uh, and by the way, we don't think Job was sinless. Okay, we believe that Job's sin was atoned for and covered. He was a righteous man and therefore was blameless. He was not sinless the way Christ was sinless. His sins were atoned for in that he had trusted in the provision that God had given him to deal with his sin. Okay, so you can't even say about Job he committed no sin. But watch this, here we go. Um, 
it says, uh, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And that's the part I like. See if you can check out Job in verse 23. While being reviled, did not revile in return. Yes or no? Well, the brother could revile, could he not? <laughs> in fact, you'll see that his friends come back at him. This is some of the questions you guys processed this week. His friends came back at him with increasing passion because not only were they confused by his circumstance and certain that they could help him with words, when they offered those words, Job just said, you idiots, you fools, you false waddies. All right, which is just basically a, uh, a, a, a trough of land that during uh, very rainy seasons fills up quickly and offers life to parts of the, the desert that don't otherwise get life and water. Okay, And so Job was just saying, you never provide me life. There's never a torrent of provision that comes from you. And, and he got much, much more colorful than that. But, but here's what it says in First Peter chapter 2. The second example for you is to do what? Suffer. Now, this is not something we like. In John 13, Jesus said, I did this as an example for you. Be a servant. Now, here's the second thing. First Peter 2, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. Suffer. If you really want to know what it is to be Christ-like, it is to be a suffering servant. Now, a lot of people think weak people are servants. And a lot of people think only folks that suffer, uh, the only folks that suffer are people that deserve suffering. And so folks are going to say all kinds of things about you when you um, make yourself an individual that sacrifices and endures for the sake of others. And that's why you've got to live for what Job lived for, and you've got to live for what Jesus lived for. As you continue down in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it goes on, when he um, suffered and when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not utter threats. But he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges rightly. Remember that? So who's the one that judges rightly? How about if I ask it to you this way? Who's the one that's going to redeem your life from the false opinions of this fleeting world? God. And that's Job 19. Remember what Job said in Job 19? I do have these verses for you. Look at this. Job 19 says, Oh, that my words were written or that they were inscribed in a book, that with an iron stylus and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. In other words, I'm going to die, but I pray that what I've said is forever down there so folks can go back and test it. So that when my Redeemer, when truth comes, and He takes His stand on the earth, even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God in myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another, my heart faints within me. What he says is, I know that my Redeemer is coming, and he is going to make me, who look crazy, look wise later. Now, folks, that is our dream, that, that we would live. And i got to be honest with you, this week, as I spend time with the Lord, God kind of exposed to me that my life does not look crazy enough especially in the way that I seek comfort and am not storing up for myself treasures in heaven. And it's ground I've got to take. It is ground that I've got to continue to push away from me that which the world says, the more you grow in certain aspects, the more you should become comfortable. It is antithetical. Antithetical is the word. It is antithetical to what the Scripture says is true. The more you grow 
in this world in true greatness, the more the things of this world ought to move away from you, not to you. And folks, that is so unorthodox, that is so contradictory to what this world teaches, that the world is going to call you crazy. And guess what? The opinion that that is good are not written on stone, but they are in a book. And that book is the book that we're here to study for these next several weeks still. And we aren't just going to study it so we know information about it. We want this book. The purpose of Bible study is not information, it is transformation. And we want to be men. You know, the economy, as it goes south, that is not bad news for people who are not living in this economy. People that have given away this economy to store up for themselves treasures in heaven have looked crazy, except when this economy melts down and all of a sudden you go, I'm so glad that I stored up for myself exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 6. And if heaven is my citizenship, there are people that are going to look at me all the time and go, Wagner, what are you doing? Why are you living that way? It doesn't make any sense. You are a fool. You've drunk too much of the Kool-Aid. And you know what I want to say? If, if I really heard that enough, you know what I would say? Oh, Lord, come quickly. Redeemer, show up. Because when Jesus shows up, everybody that's lived radically that way is going to look wise. And everybody that has lived for this world is going to look foolish. But without a Redeemer, that's not what happens. I just want to close this way. I want to close by letting you listen to a song. And uh, I went to iTunes. This is one of my favorite songs. And I went to iTunes yesterday, and Ryan and I got the video. And it is one of the worst videos ever made for this song. And so, uh, luckily, uh, I, I have another video that this song has been laid over. And it, I'm just going to tell you, it's a story of uh, Dick Hoyt. And this is not my point this morning. Dick Hoyt is the father up in Boston whose son has been, from the time he was born, uh, unable to walk or speak or anything. And Dick one day got his son and began to uh, let him experience a little bit of what it was like to be outside because there was a person that was, uh, I think, uh, had a disease and they were doing a fundraiser for him, a little 2K or 3K walk, and his son said, I want to do this. So Dick pushed him in a wheelchair and then it grew from there to where now Dick does triathlons with his son who is an invalid. And, uh, and, and, and what I want to share with you is not this story, although the story is compelling. I want to share with you the song. And, and, and here's the, just the cross I'm going to make so you can watch the video, so you don't have to watch the actual Nicole C. Mullins video. Um, think about yourself. You are completely unable to get where you want to get, to righteousness and blamelessness. You have an ocean of sin that you cannot swim across. You have a marathon of faithfulness that you cannot possibly ever accomplish faithfully unless your redeemer takes you there and leads you there and you have a long ride of being wise that you will never ever be seen wise in unless your redeemer shows up and says hey this is the guy that rode through life correctly not those of you that pursued comfort so i want to tell you guys what job longed for if you're not longing for jesus to come it's because you're investing too much here. If you don't think you need a Savior, it's because you think you're too righteous here. If, uh, if you're not suffering as a servant, then you really don't want a Redeemer to come and set this earth as it should be. 
And all three of those things ought to be increasing in our life. So I just want you to meditate. on. And I love the way Nicole sings this song. She is longing for her Redeemer. And the reason she continues to live faithfully is because she knows her Redeemer lives. And so I can sit with this boil, I can scrape my flesh, I can cover myself in burlap, and I can even endure ignorance. Because one day my Redeemer will say, that guy got it right.